Welcome to the Interest in Health and Safety podcast, making health and safety as important as everything else we do in business. Welcome to the award-winning Interest in Health and Safety podcast. How how pleased are we? Um, we recently went down to Cardiff to um, to the Marriott Hotel, which is a very nice hotel down there, um, for the Institute of Quarry in um, um, South um, South Wales. Uh, Christmas, Christmas dinner, I suppose, an annual annual dinner dance. Um, <coughs> it was also the presentation evening for the uh, the Institute of Quarry in um, South Excellence Awards, and uh, the Interest in Health and Safety podcast picked up a new award. Um, the award for for I suppose in, in you know interacting um, with an engagement with with employees and with uh, people on a, on a site basis so we're, we're really pleased because that was one of the big aims of, of doing this was to was to give people the opportunity to use to use this uh, this podcast to uh, to go out and talk to to the people at the sharp end of the business so we are very very proud to um you know to have been to have been first of all nominated but then to receive the award um and and you know also a little bit of a you know a little bit of, of, of thanks i suppose um um to to you who listen to the to the uh, podcast a thank you to the uh, to the people that come on as guests a thank you to the team who uh, who actually put the uh, who put the podcast together um you know very very proud um anyway today what we're going to talk about today um, i i had the 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 fortune to to meet up with a, with a guy called Eric Ball. Eric runs um, the the occupational health system um, through a company called Park Health and Safety um, on big some big projects they work on. They've uh, they've done work on the London Olympics in 2012. Uh, HS2 at the moment they're working on Thames Tideway is uh, it, which is um, a sewer a new sewer complex that's going in on, uh, under London um, and it's going to stop effluent getting into the uh, into the Thames. I didn't realise it. You know that raw waste um, actually you know when it floods raw waste actually goes uh, goes into the Thames today and, and this this system is to is being built um, to to try and to try and stop that so so we um, we talk a bit about the occupational health program how they come and set it up um, you know some of the some of the hazards some of the risks that they're faced with anyway um, let's get straight into it uh, and I'd like to introduce Eric Ball. Eric, thank you, th- thank you so much for um, um, for for agreeing to, to have a chat with not us. All, have a chat all. with us today. Um, I'd really like to um, I'd like to sort of start off um, really. But if you could if you could just sort of introduce yourself, you know what you um, what you do, where we are, and uh, you know we'll we'll I've got a few questions, but we'll, yeah. we'll go from yeah, there. Yeah, indeed. So uh, so I'm I'm Eric Ball. I'm a, a partner in Park Health and Safety Partnership. That's what my Email says, but uh, I'm an occupational hygienist at mm-hmm. heart. I have uh, been an occupational hygienist for 15, coming on 15 years. Mm-hmm. Um, no doubt you're aware of what an occupational hygienist does. We've, you know, I started, I cut my teeth, particularly in construction, about 2007 on the Olympics. And then from there into Crossrail. And then once I got to Crossrail, once I went below ground in Crossrail, I have really been spending most of my time below ground. So um, uh, what with Crossrail, Northern Line Extension, um, uh, a bit of work on Battersea Power Station uh, to where we are now, which is um, uh, Tideway Central, uh, one of our projects. Um, I also do occupational hygiene for um, various um, HS2 projects um, and also the Polyhalite mine up north in the North York Moors. So Mm -hmm. um, uh, 
that's me. Um, uh, as I say, I've been doing this for for a long time, and uh, but uh, but I really see my specialism now in major civils, major construction projects. Mm -hmm. You know, multi-million pound uh, uh, projects, um, and uh, yeah, just understanding the challenges, particularly with occupational hygiene below ground, because uh, it's a fairly unique environment and 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 a unique um, mindset. Of the people that work there, mm -hmm. um, you, you said uh, um, there. You know, you are, I obviously know what an occupational hygienist is. Okay, can, yeah. I, can you can you can expand, <laughs> expand on that? Well, essentially, for, what for you're saying, Colin, is uh, no, I have no idea. So, an occupational hygienist. So, uh, uh, let's start with what, what is occupational health. Occupational health is the health of health and safety. Okay, so uh, um, anything uh, safety related, I you know there are plenty more uh, more experienced people than me to uh, to deal with those. So I I, I generally uh, push those to one side uh, and concentrate just on the health aspects. So what is occupational health? How is someone's health going to be affected by their work? But also how does their um, how does someone's health affect the work that they do? Mm -hmm. So occupation in itself, occupational health in itself is split into two categories. Um, most people um, uh, uh, will have some experience of occupational health from what I would say the, the clinical aspect. The evaluation of whether or not someone's health is going to affect their work. The most typical one in the projects that I work on is safety critical medicals. Mm -hmm. If I am a tower crane operator, you might want me to be able to see. Mm -hmm. If you are a banksman, you might want me to be able to hear. Um, if I am uh, uh, if I am a scaffolder, you might want me to be physically fit in with regards to the musculoskeletal system. And so these are checks that you will do at the start of employment when they come onto the project, when they come and join you on board. They, they, you, we, we check their health to say, right, are they healthy enough to do the role that they're going to do? Mm -hmm. um, it can be a clinical, we've got to sitting down with a nurse, it can be just simply a questionnaire. You know, there will be simple questions that you would routinely ask because you might want to be aware whether or not someone's got photosensitive epilepsy, whether or not they have a heart condition that needs to be, uh, be, be, be catered for. These are all kind of fairly standard things, and that is very typical for vast majority of organizations that have some form of occupational health even if you don't realize it the the challenge for construction and that was really put forward in front of the with with the olympics was to look at it the other way around not how are you going to affect your work but how is the work going to affect you okay so that is kosh mm -hmm. what kind of chemicals you're exposed to and in there be it microbial be it dust be it direct contact um, how is that going to affect your health um, noise at work regs vibration asbestos uh, manual handling fairly common ones um, and then each of those gets a bit more detailed the, the, the more you start to look into it so a lot of uh, what I deal with would be contaminated land for example mm -hmm. it's a cosh issue um, but it's a fairly specialist cosh issue um, also I started getting into a lot more um, ergonomics which is is some occupational hygienists don't 
particularly like ergonomics because it can be seen as a bit warm and fluffy. It's a bit how people are feeling. Uh, you know, why do people do what they do? Um, there is a typical ergonomics with regards to how does someone physically relate to the workplace? How are you sitting in your chair right now is ergonomics. But uh, there is the psycho psychological side of ergonomics. Why are you sitting in a chair like that? Why are you sitting in that chair right now? Mm -hmm. um, uh, and that's, that's I guess, a, a, another element of, of uh, occupational hygiene that I have been getting more and more involved with, particularly with some of the projects I'm working on and the stages that they're at. Um, we can make a big influence with regards to that. So occupational hygiene is, is essentially that. It's all, anything that can adversely affect your health in the workplace from the work that you do that's the remit of an occupational hygienist to anticipate it anticipate it and make sure we plan for it if it's happening then we evaluate how much is it happening so um, most commonly occupational hygienists will, will, will be associated with going out on site taking dust measurements taking noise measurements taking vibration measurements developing writing up reports developing risk assessments trying to improve those and reduce those Mm -hmm. To be honest with you, I try to do less of that. Mm -hmm. I think the the, the, the skill set of an occupational hygienist is, is you know, okay, yes, the practical monitoring skills is an important aspect of it, but, but there's a whole lot more we know about these things and how to control these things than simply having us go around and wave a noise meter. Mm -hmm. If you want me to do that, I can do that, but it's, it's but actually, as I say to uh, as I say to a lot of people, if you ring me up and say, oh, uh, Eric, Eric, we've we've got a dust problem. I don't. I want you to come down and, and, and do some dust monitoring. Mm. Rather than go down there and do some dust monitoring, I'd rather tell you be like, well, let's work on the basis that you do have a dust problem. What are you going to do about it? Mm. And then we'll have a chat about it. We might look at the site and say, well, you know, we can improve things there. We can improve things there. And we say, right, well, fine. If we can do that, let's do that. And then the monitoring that I would do would be an assurance. So not evaluating how much of a problem we've got, but actually evaluating how much improvements we've got. How successful. How yeah. successful. Yeah. Can you um, um, just explain a little bit about about this project that we're on now, the Thames? How many people? How many people are working in this? Uh, Ooh, trying to fight me there. Um, so we'll have on this. You know what? I would be guessing. Yeah. I would be guessing, but uh, I mean, let's just walk, typically a project this size, I would expect us to have, I would expect us to have about 300, about 300 or so, just on this site. Obviously with the, with the Tideway project, and with a lot of tunneling projects, we'll have, uh, you know, you have other locations, places, you know, if you're driving a TBM to somewhere, you mm -hmm. generally prepare the site that you're driving to. Mm -hmm. You generally have shafts yeah. uh, to, to, um, to, to meet halfway, so you'll have site teams there. So um, other small sites, we may well be down to about 100 or so, depends on uh, shift patterns and things like that. But I would say we have about, uh, I would say we, uh, at any point we have about 200 people on site. Mm -hmm. Three to four hundred in total, exactly. but that is a yeah, no, no, no. That's what, I, that's what I wanted to sort of take the question as well. Was so, 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 how do you, how do you go about about even starting to consider occupational health on a on a project like this? Yeah, you start as early as possible. You, you I guess, early doors. You know, you sit down with. I mean, it's very it's very driven by the client. What does the client want to achieve? Mm -hmm. Um, and 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 then working with both 
the working with the tier one contractors, you know, the main people with the contracts to 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 envisage that, uh, to actually or visualize or realize that that aspiration. Um, so there's a you know there's a lot of sitting down and talking about all the various different elements and what you want to achieve from it. Um, so. You know, and 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 that is because these are you know big major projects, and um, every single major project always wants to, understandably, always wants to do a little bit better than the last. Mm. So you know, the Olympics first kind of said, right, fine, you know, this is you know from an occupational perspective, dedicated centre, um, occupational hygienists on call. Um, Crossroads was just like, I like that. We're going to do that, but do it a bit. Bit more, yep. And then uh, Northern Line kind of look at that and say, "Hey, you know what? Crossrail really worked well, but but these things were left out. So so we're going to do this bit more. And then so everyone is building up on on, on top of each other, uh, on, on on top of each other to try and you know, kind of push the industry. And and really because we're such big projects, kind of drive. You know, this is where we think occupational health management should go. Um, so there is a lot of uh, a lot of early doors thinking about you know where do we want occupational he- uh, health to go and 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 then developing initially standards and strategies because obviously you know what you agree in a room of eight to ten people then has to be passed out to everyone and then mm-hmm. that has to trickle down so so you have to formalize this you have to write you know write these documents so that other people can read and, and understand which way we're going. Um, yeah, and that's uh, so. That's that's kind of where <coughs> you start. You know, what do you actually want to achieve? And and um, unless you have another t- question you want to uh, dive in on, one of the big ones that that uh, Tideway came up with was um, with regards to the the problems of occupational health is that we're all talking about long latency problems. Mm-hmm. We're talking about you know exposures now having a health effect in 40 years time and what is the problem how do we how do we kind of keep track of that um, you'd be aware if you're not or, or uh, then any kind of clinical intervention um, health health assessment health surveillance you know you need to be keeping records for 40 odd years yep. so if you come to a big project like this let's take crossrail for example you go to crossrail they would give you health surveillance according to the risks you were exposed to. So um, you're exposed to spray concrete lining dust, we'll give you lung function test. You're exposed to noise on a tunnel boring machine, you give you a no- uh, uh, audiometry testing. And each of the, the joint ventures, the, the, the contractors there, would then have all those records. Mm-hmm. And then they would be put in a vault and left in the vault because they've got to be in the vault for 40 years. But that's where the information trail would end. Mm. So then when you've got your miners and your tunneling gangs coming off Crossrail and then coming onto, for example, Tideway, there's a whole chunk of health surveillance and, and health information that we have pertinent to those people, which are stuck in a vault that no one can see. Mm-hmm. Um, Crossrail hoped to get round it with CBH. Um, I taking taking these health records out from from the kind of employer's point of view, but putting it back to you know making the health record the individual's <coughs> health record. Mm-hmm. Um, 
didn't work as well as as well as they would hope. So what Tideway did, and one of the big things we decided right from the start is we wouldn't do that. We have, we are, uh, the vast majority of the people employed by any of the joint ventures are not actually employed by the joint ventures, they are employed by the parent companies. Mm-hmm. So with, with Tideway here, we have Forever and Lango Rock, um, you are either employed by Forever or Lango Rock. When you go to um, um, Tideway West, uh, you're employed by Bam Nuttles, Morgan Sindel, or Balfour Beatty. Mm-hmm. You're employed by, by the individual parent companies. Mm-hmm. And those individual parent companies already have occupational health screening systems in place. Mm-hmm. So one of the big drivers for us was to say, right, how can we develop a system that, that, that when people come on board and we are either making requirements with regards to safety critical medicals, or we are exposing them to things that require health surveillance, that actually, <coughs> rather than we do that testing ourselves, we push them back to the parent companies mm-hmm. and say, this testing needs to be done. And our role now is developing, it has always been developing a, a, a system of, I want to say, auditing checks and balances with regards to making sure that those things are being done. So, for example, if you wanted to come down here and be inducted, you said, you know, you were a plant operator, mm-hmm. you would be a, someone we consider safety critical, therefore, you would need a safety critical medical you would have to turn up on the day of your induction with an in-date safety critical medical mm-hmm. certificate. It would have to be done to the standards that we would require, mm-hmm. i.e. the, the, the organisation would have to be CQUASH accredited. Um, it would have to be in-date, we would say generally within six months at induction. Um, but you know, going back to your original question, how do you start going about these things? You know, there are, you know, we sat around the table and we said, right, fine. How, if someone turns up with a safety critical medical certificate that's valid for the next week before it runs out, do we accept that? Mm-hmm. No. Okay, a month? Mm, no. And then work, you know, and say a year and be like, well, is a year too much? You know, and, and it's all of these fine tuning that kind of slowly develops into an occupational health standard that we have for for the for the whole project, mm-hmm. and that's the standard that we expect everyone to work to. Mm-hmm. Now, what's been the eye opener for? Um, you know, it's not this hasn't been a real big deal for the big, uh, you know, your your big construction companies because we've all got these in place, but when you start going down to labour supply. Mm-hmm. This is one of the big changes. I mean, I know, speaking to, to, to one labour supplier, and I sit down with them and I say, right, well, they talk to me about your occupational health regime, and they'll be like, occupational health what? Mm. Um, you know, health surveillance, um, health surveillance, safety critical medicals, all the clinical side of things, you know, hygiene aside, all the clinical side of things, where there are clear legal obligations, they said, well, well they, we always we always let our our, our um, you know the tier one deal with that because we we don't have any contracts ourselves. We just provide the labour. Mm. Well, that's you know that's just you know they are the employers. The legal obligation is on them. And I think you know that's one of the biggest changes I've seen in 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 in, in the industry mm-hmm. in a, in a long while is um, the. The understanding of the, the the understanding of the obligations of, of, of 
occupational health with regards to health surveillance and, and safety critical medicals and, and the obligations they have as employers mm-hmm. that they can't they can't just skim a top of the wage and take that mm-hmm. they actually have to do something with it yeah. and um and that's been a big eye for, for some of the tunneling uh, labor supply some have been very good some of them mean some of them have been behind the times but but um projects like like tideway have really kind of pushed back on them and said well we're not going to do this yet we are going to check you are legally compliant mm-hmm. and if you don't do it you're not legally compliant and then you know, that's not going to work for us. So we've really kind of, uh, there were some organisations that made big headway mm. in, in starting from scratch of having nothing to having a fairly comprehensive regime. Because I suppose it's fairly um, it's fairly uh, easy for them to to get a, a, a ticket for a machine, yeah. you know, and they'll make sure that's, but, but, but here you're, you're almost, you're almost looking for a, a, a ticket for the individual, isn't it? Well, you know, uh, uh, you know, no, you're absolutely right, and that's, yeah. and that's a very good description for it. Is is yeah, you know, making sure that this person is is fit for work. And to be honest, it's occupational health can be seen because there is kind of the the latent side of things. Because there's from a hygiene point of view, there's a the whole sciencey side of things. From a clinical point of view, there's the whole medical side of things. A lot of organisations initially are kind of um, not standoffish, but but a bit a bit cautious that you know that they're out of their depths because it'd be like, well, you know, we're a construction company, not a medical advice company. Mm-hmm. Um, but actually, it is relatively simple. And one of the key things is, you know, you get any half competent occupational health provider on board because for heaven's sake you don't want to be you know burdening yourself with you know dealing with medical records and stuff like that get mm-hmm. an occupational health provider in and they will kind of you know uh, 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 deal with all of all of that mm-hmm. um, you know once you get someone in that's half uh, you know half half competent then it's a fairly simple process you know you got your, you know, your, your your driving ticket would be like, well, okay, all we need to do is make sure that that's in date. When it's in, not in date anymore, we're going to send you off on a course to get it updated. Well, mm-hmm. health, safety, critical, medical is, is just it's the same. It's just the same. That's, yeah, that's really, that's really interesting. And it's, um, you know, it's interesting to hear then. So some of the labour suppliers are really taking this on board. Oh, yeah, yeah, and certainly. Yeah, it's, yeah. Um, uh, there is, in fact, you know, um, there is an... I know that there was there's certainly two organisations that started on here that had nothing and mm-hmm. now have a, a you know a, a good basic service. Mm-hmm. Um, there are um, uh, uh, there isn't anyone who who uh, uh, you know who certainly doesn't have anything. Um, we found it quite interesting that since introducing this policy from a from a um, kind of. From a, uh, the point of view of, of being an occupational health provider ourselves, the amount of phone calls we got out of the blue, can you do us a safety critical medical? Because mm. I've got to go down to this project. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And they're asking me for this, and normally they would give it to me, but now we need it. So actually, w- firstly, we need one because we need to get on site. Yep. Secondly, we're going to need a system here. Can you give us some advice on on, on how to set something up and, mm-hmm. and, and, and what does it look like? So it's um, you know it, it's it's been very interesting from that point of view to to kind of see the growth of the industry quite quickly mm-hmm. from a quite an early decision we made early on to say we should we should not be doing this for them. I mean, ultimately, we saw ourselves as as enabling it. Mm. You know. 
they didn't do it not because they didn't want to do it but we ne enabled them to to not do these the these kind of yeah. this kind of uh, 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 this kind of testing um so that's why we kind of thought you know what we should stop enabling them we should you know all we should do is 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 ultimately you know remind them of their obligations and say if you want to come through the door yep. if you want to join one of the biggest tunneling projects in in the country at the moment mm. you're going to need to do this yeah mm -hmm. Just yeah. raising that, raising that bar continually. Absolutely, and, 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 this and project. the next project will do the same. Yeah. Uh, we'll, we'll pick something else and mm. and, 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 and and drive that and drive that forward. And, this, and it is it is projects like this that, mm. that that basically are there to try and influence the industry, aren't they? To try and you know yeah. to try because which the Olympics did massively. Uh, certain, certainly, I think there's um I mean particularly with uh, uh, there is a mindset amongst kind of tunneling that it is. It is a slightly different beast, but generally speaking, no. oh. I mean, I, I guess in, in in construction circles, certainly tunneling is a, is a different beast. But I guess if you were to kind of take a step outside mm -hmm. and just say kind of construction in general, be like, oh well, this is what they did on Crosswell. Well, uh, most people kind of say, well, that's a construction project rather than one specifically a tunneling project. They just kind of say, what did Crosswell do? And let's kind of take the learnings from there. So, mm -hmm. so yeah, those it is. Uh, you know, it has been quite interesting to see how the industry has been improving. And I guess this is where, where you know how I know you from the Construction Dust Partnership. It's taking this learning from from these large projects. Mm -hmm. so how do we get this? To trickle down, mm -hmm. how do we get this to 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 you know get to either the man in the van or or not even that you know a step up get to a residential project? Yep. You know every single one of these projects is quite different, has its own different challenges. I mean tunneling, we don't see really see a churn once mm. we start tunneling in itself. Um, everyone gets into the groove mm -hmm. and we don't really you know we will be doing this for the next whatever two three years however long your tunnel is um we don't have the same challenges as for example res residential development mm. which has a massive churn rate of yep. different trades coming in at different mm -hmm. times yeah incredibly difficult and, a project and, like that and different people doing the same trade. You know, they, you know, the turnover within small Absolutely. construction companies yeah. is huge. Yeah. So we need to. Uh, so, mm -hmm. so it's. I think. I think the one learning from from a project like this, then, and going on to something like a residential project, where where there you do have such that, uh, such a high flow of people, is is again the um, kind of pushing it back on the individual. Contractors and say, look, you know, you have these obligations. You have to be doing these things, and it's you know how how bold can you be mm -hmm. in terms of um, of saying, well, if you want this contract to put in our put in our plumbing, then you have to have you know these standard occupational health procedures, these systems, these tests in place. Mm -hmm. um, I guess the difficulty there is that you know if, if you're going to put a pressure on an organisation and they're not going to want to do it, then uh, they'll be like, well, we've got plenty of other work to go to. Mm. The beauty of tunnelling is, in that regards, that that you know there isn't another tunnel just across the road no. that could be built. Correction, there is, but <laughs> <laughs> there's a, you know, I'm sorry, you know, know space you space yeah. is limited. Yeah, Everything's yeah. going underground these days. But yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, but you know, it, it, we don't have that you know. Your big organisations would be like, well, you know, like you know, there's nothing the scale of of, of tideway at the moment for for your 
tunneling contractors. So, mm-hmm. You, know, you want to be part of this game, so you have to up your game. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. So, so then, so just going, just going back then. So you, 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 you're, you're sitting down. You're talking with your client. You, you, you're sort of setting your, um, um, your, your standards. Yep. You're doing some kind of risk profiling, I suppose, to determine oh, yeah, what yeah. risks, you know, what what risks are actually going to be. Oh yeah, yeah. certainly. So, oh gosh, uh, there's. So this is a, there's a, kind of two steps to that. So, I mean, um, Tideway, again, one of the big things that Tideway did was um, uh, uh, get um, um, uh, some health, what, we, what they call health risk assessments mm-hmm. developed. So essentially every single site had a health risk assessment developed for it. Um, it was obviously client days, so it was all fairly, um, to be honest, fairly Basic from an occupational hygienist point of view, I should say, you'd probably read the eighty odd pages and be like, "Wow, this is a goldmine of information." Mm-hmm. And like hygienists would look at that and be like, mm, "There's nothing really much there." Yeah. Just simply because we weren't doing anything, um, uh, it was all talking about residual risks of the sites and, and, and things like that. Interesting information with regards to potential ground contamination, things like that. Um, but this is what the, what uh, uh, the client what, what Tideway actually uh, produced was was. HOA, what we call HOAs, health risk assessments for each site, said, here you go. Um, one of my first jobs down here was to kind of look at that and say, well, okay, that's the site, but actually, what are we doing? Yep. This is when you start sitting down with designers. Mm-hmm. What are we designing? Mm-hmm. Um, there's the whole CDM element in regards to understanding, you know, what are you designing? What risks are there? How are we designing those out? Uh, what residual risks are going to be left over? How are they going to get pa- uh, passed on to the construction team? What do the construction team have to do about that? And so I would sit with designers firstly to make sure that these are being understood, mm-hmm. appreciated, designed out where they could, um, doing lots of training with them to kind of say, look, this is how occupational health should work at the design phase. Um, but all the while taking that information and that learning to kind of then go into our health risk assessments. Health risk assessments start being developed with regards to like, you know, these are the health risks with regards to tunneling, with regards to shaft sinking, health risks with regards to, you know, simple maintenance and services operation for, for, for running the TBM. These are the health risks associated with, um, um, in some part, the, 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 the operation and maintenance side of things when, when, when it's ultimately handed over. Uh, and these health risk assessments, every single site has one. Uh, that aims to, 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 to act as a guide for ultimately the engineers who are planning chunks of work mm-hmm. to have a look through and say, right, what are the health risks here that uh, have been anticipated? How should they be controlled? Um, the, the health risk assessments are quite broad in their control because obviously when they're written we don't know the finer details of how, for example, the sheet piling is going to be working. Um, so quite a broad ideas of, you know, these are the kind of things you need to be, con- uh, 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 things you need to have in place to control them. Um, what do we consider to be the monitoring requirements? Uh, is noise monitoring required? And what do we consider to be the health surveillance requirements? Mm-hmm. That gets passed on alongside, kind of sits alongside the construction phase plan, the overarching risk assessment for the project. Um, and then the engineers sit down and, and uh, we hope, not always, but sometimes they will kind of use that to then inform their actual method statements, risk assessments, mm-hmm. and, and then how, how that's going to be controlled. And that's a continually fluid process. Um, you know, particularly early doors, a lot of designer engagement. 
understanding what's going on, understanding the main principles, getting that information into a format that will end up in front of the guys, um, actually planning and doing the work. Then as the project matures, the, the, the amount of designer engagement drops down. <coughs> it's a lot more dotting I's and crossing T's, or at least um, there isn't in the huge amounts of additional health risks being introduced mm. or being taken away. Um, so our engagement with the designers drops down and our engagement with the site teams, the construction teams, increases Increases. as they need more and more support Mm -hmm. of of, of the various things going on. So when you're when you're doing that work with the um, with the designer, I suppose you know a lot of a lot of the things that you're you're looking at is 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 industry best practice. Is 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 this able to um, a project like this able to actually change? Best practice. I mean, did did you have any really big wins here when you were talking to the designers? And you may still be talking to them now. That maybe you hadn't achieved at other, uh, you know, at other projects. Um, yeah. The uh, so, so with health health in design, with uh, you can't start it early enough, mm. and that has a trouble in itself. From, from scheme design, so when you're sitting down on a blank piece of paper and going to draw a tunnel loop or you know build a bridge or anything like that, you have your basic scheme design and then you'll go into detailed design. And, and occupational health has some input at every single stage. Um, most projects have a big win. Um, there were times on, you know, on other projects you know, where I've kind of said, well, you know, what are you doing that for? Mm. Why? Uh, well, you know, I've had one project came up to me and said, "I, I need you to do, um, uh, I need you to to do some lead monitoring." Right. It's like this isn't Victorian times. Mm. You know, one, you know, there's you telling me there's nothing better than lead that we have to use here. Mm. Um, and then, well, that's that's what it is. And you know, by the time it crossed my desk, we had a bunch of guys on site about to start doing this work. Mm-hmm. Because, well, okay, there's been a you know a, you know, a missed opportunity. Here. Yep. Yep. Um, you know, then not five years later, we you know we go to another project, or we you know, we can even you know a good example will be here. Um, you know, we the final structure is going to be spinning water through a vortex. Um, a concrete vortex and, and spinning it to drop it down, drop it down the hole to get ultimately to the tunnel. Spinning water, abrasive to concrete. We need to protect the concrete. How yep. do we protect the concrete? You know, we sit down with a bunch of designers and we say, oh, we sit down with designers and the construction team and the client, and we look through our options. Do we harden the concrete so we can add some funky chemicals to it to harden it up? Um, we can. Um, uh, we could line it with plastic. Or we could line it with stainless steel. Um, we go around the table. We have a talk about you know all our various different options. You know, it comes around to me and I say, well, you know, I don't really. I mean, my preference would be hardened concrete, not so much because that's particularly safer, or healthier even, but because it's you know the whole thing is made of concrete. Mm. So we're just putting in a slightly different version of concrete. So mm-hmm. we're not seeing a huge step of control. You know, the the the, uh, the the health risks are broadly similar. So so you know, let's stick with concrete because then mm-hmm. we're not changing a control regime halfway through our project. 
um, for, for, for dealing with this material. And I suppose the, the, ongoing, then the ongoing maintenance later down the line becomes less of an issue uh, because you haven't got to go in and replace that stainless steel or well, that this plastic is why, lining. And this, is why, this is why the plastic, was, uh, the plastic lining was thrown out, mm -hmm. uh, I believe. I mean, I wasn't in the final final meeting of where the decision was made, but um, when, I, when I was asked for my input, I, was, uh, I said, well, you know, do whatever you like, just don't do stainless steel. Mm -hmm. uh, stainless steel is, uh, uh, is uh, you know, Nasty material if you're going to start doing hot works. With. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, so and and you know I don't need the headache of having to try and control this while it's on site. So mm -hmm. let's not use stainless steel. Anyway, so they go and have their meeting. They come back and say, guess what? We start, we've chosen stainless steel mm -hmm. right. mainly from the maintenance point of view because they could put it in place. And I mm -hmm. said, fine, yep. I'll give you that. Yep. If you want made stainless steel, you can have stainless steel. You can't hot work it on site. Yeah. You go away and design whatever you're going to design. But design it with the point of view of not having hot works with stainless steel. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that's when we start looking at first off-site manufacturer. But a lot of these are coming on site in um, in single pieces, yep. so they'll be slotted straight in. Mm -hmm. So we won't need to uh, 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 manipulate them at all. Mm. Um, of course, it always sounds great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He says that. Well, you know, we'll we'll see. We're still yeah, a far yeah, while away from it's the coming. Years time, but it's but this years, is, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. these are this is these are you know what I've been told, and most of them come in in one piece and will be slotted in, uh, mm. slotted in place, which actually has benefits with regards to, um, uh, you know, program and cost as well. It's yeah, works right. out a lot, lot yeah. quicker and cheaper to do it that way. Um, but then there's sort of going to be other ones where, for example, you can't get it on site because. Uh, from the manufacturing facility, you know, there isn't a safe route, i.e., through through London that it can go. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's got you know the one there's low bridges or, mm -hmm. or whatever. There's a, a couple of examples where there are the the low bridges mean that we aren't able to to get outside. So it comes mm -hmm. in two, three or four pieces. Yeah. Then all mechanically fixed. Yeah. So yeah. they've been looking at various different ways. That they do, they mechanically fix it on site and put it in. There's some where um, they it has to be put in pl uh, 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 built up in place, um, uh, built up in situ, so in the shaft itself. But all of that will be, you know, all of that will be mechanical. I say mechanical fixing. I am completely uh, aware that we will we will inevitably be doing hot work on stainless steel. Mm. A small amount, but it will—you know—it's not going to be a, a, a routine job. Mm -hmm. But it's high enough on the list of priorities in terms of our designers' risk assessments, health risk assessments, things like that. That it's not going to be—it's—we're um, going to have a good, strong control regime in place. Mm. Um, you know, we've done a lot of work with with, with welding in general, and 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 when if stainless starts to be a, 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 an issue, then. You know, I think we're we're all aware as a project, particularly in the, the health and safety uh, teams, um, and most of the construction teams, that it's something that we'll be avoiding at all costs. Mm. So that is the end of episode one. Uh, Eric's such an interesting guy. I could have chatted to him for ages and ages, um, but we've um, we did about an hour and twenty, so we're about halfway through the uh, halfway through the. Uh, the interview there. Very interesting to hear um, him talk about about this this approach of of assuming if people ringing up, then let's assume that you've got a problem and let's see what we can do to actually put the problem right. Um, you know that's what good health and safety 
professionals um, should be about you know not just identifying problems but actually putting and helping discover and implement solutions to make a difference in your workplace um, really interesting to hear about him talking about uh, this 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 involvement and interaction with uh, you know with the designers and we're going to talk a bit more about that uh, in the second uh, in the second in the second half um, but it's 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 so important to get it right at the start, you know, the amount of time and effort that you need to put in before projects start, you know, to get the right, um, to get the right controls and the right, the right thinking, you know, is really important. Anyway, I'm gonna, um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna leave it there, and uh, you know, we'll we'll kick off uh, episode two uh, next week. Hey, have a great, uh, have a great Christmas. Anyway, I'll speak to you soon. Bye bye now. Thanks for listening to the Interest in Health and Safety podcast. You can follow and engage on Facebook and LinkedIn by searching the Interesting Health and Safety Community or go to www.influentialmg.com. And remember, let's make health and safety as important as everything else we do in business.